My name is Pete Bulette. I am the director of Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. And uh, there we go. Got a couple people here. And it is my joy to uh, introduce to you our guest speaker for this morning. Um, if I could spend a day with anyone other than my family, and I could choose to spend a day with anybody, I would choose our speaker for today. Out of anybody in the world, okay, outside of my family, I'd pick him. And I want to tell you why. Uh, first of all, because he is one of the funniest people that I know, okay? So you ever around people that just make you laugh being around them? He's one of those guys for me. We're, we're similar generation. We grew up in the similar area of the, of the country, and we just get each other. In fact, he's been staying with me since uh, Friday, and at times it made me laugh so hard I was crying, okay? So, like it, just, so he makes me laugh. Secondly... Is because when I'm with him, I think thoughts that I don't normally think. He is one of the smartest people that I know. And when, you ever around somebody that after that conversation, you're thinking about different things than, than you would normally think about? Um, that's who he is for me. And so I am uh, better because of him in my life. And thirdly, because there have been times when I've been in valleys in my life, um, when life was a little overwhelming or difficult or I was in grief and God has used him to speak truth into my life or maybe pray for me, whether it even be over Skype or, or in person. And uh, it's been a turning point in my life. And so he's been used in that way in my life many times. His name is Sean Gallion and he is a missionary uh, to the, the country of Spain. And not only uh, is he a missionary to the country of Spain, but he also heads up what's called the Secular People Initiative um, for the missions agency that he is a part of. In other words, he helps other missionaries think about how to reach secular people. So he spends his time and his days walking the streets of Spain um, and, and teaching others uh, how to reach secular people and talking to secular people about Jesus. And so um, also one other tidbit, he's one of the three people that taught me how to preach. So whatever, um, I, whatever you don't like, it's his fault. Anyways, um, that's... <laughs> So it is my joy to introduce to you our guest speaker and my dear friend, Sean Gallion. Will you welcome him? Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Man. Thanks. Well, that's kind of awkward. I'll be honest. Um, but I can say everything Pete said and say it back to him and, and Amy and uh, their joy. Um, I am married, have three kids as well. They're not with me today. Um, for various reasons, but I did bring a lovely picture of them for everybody, so after the service, if you want to grab one of these pictures of my family, it's kind of like that frame you buy, you know, and there's a family already in the picture, or in the frame, that's kind of, but if you would pray for us, and uh, I've got, I think, plenty for everybody, so that, yeah, plus you want to see my wonderful, lovely family, and I always say, you know, put it in your Bible or on your refrigerator, whichever you use most. Pay no attention to me. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Oh, thank goodness, because now I know what to say. All right. <laughs> okay, I was, God, give me a text. There it is. Okay. Um, but again, thanks to Pastor Pete for having us and the staff here at City Church. This church has been a partner church for, with us for a very long time. But beyond just being a, a partnering church, this is a, a church full of dear friends like the Bulettes and the Moyas and, of course, Blake and Ashley, wherever you are. Um, Blake served with us in Granada, Spain for, for a year. So this is a wonderful place. I feel like I'm coming home. If you were to go 3,900 miles directly east, you would be in Granada, Spain, where we live and serve. 
to University Town. I don't know if any of you have lived in University Town before. Uh, it's 300,000 people, 75,000 students. And so um, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a secular uh, people, secular students. And there we have a ministry center where we serve, not dissimilar to what Pete and Amy do at UVA. And then also we planted a church because, you know, you need as much responsibility as you can possibly get. So um, it takes two Ps to do what I do in Spain. <laughs> I'm just totally teasing. But anyway, but uh, we serve there. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But I want to share out of a context of a scripture this morning. If you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, Actually, we're reading a lot, a whole chapter, so just keep that open, and we're going to kind of go through it as I share about what we do and how God has called me and my family to, to Granada, and as well as what God is calling City Church to be, what God is calling the Church of Jesus Christ to be for a lost world. On April 14th, 1912, at 11.45 p.m., a 46,000-ton ship that we all know called, is called Titanic struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic. Months later, there was an investigation, of course, about what happened and why. And during that investigation, a small detail arose concerning a missing key. Second officer, David Blair, was removed from the crew of the Titanic at the last minute, and in his haste, he forgot to hand the key to a locker to his replacement, Officer Henley Wilde. That key was, a, was to the storage locker that held binoculars used for the person who would be in the crow's nest of the ship to view any incoming danger. Without any access to the binoculars, the lookouts just had their eyes to rely on. Mr. Frederick Fleet, who was the first one to see the iceberg, was part of the inquiry, and they asked him, suppose you had those binoculars, could you have seen that black object at a greater distance, which is kind of a dumb question, you know, in some ways. Fleet said, we could have seen it a bit sooner. The interrogators asked, how much sooner? Fleet answered, well enough to get out of the way. Small choices sometimes have tremendous consequences. I don't blame anyone in this, con in this circumstance of the story, but just a small choice to keep that key or to not go back. There's probably a thousand reasons. Oh, they'll find it. They'll, there's another key or whatever it happened. But a small choice had tremendous consequences. There are pivotal moments in our lives and the lives of the church. And there's pivotal moments in the New Testament that seem small, but they have tremendous consequences. And I think of all the small moments in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Probably the most important is found in Acts chapter 10. This is a small choice by the Apostle Peter, a small decision that will have tremendous implications. Of course, the book of Acts, we know Jesus has been gone back up into heaven, but right before he went, he gave his disciples the command to go into all the world and make disciples. And he says, Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be witnesses to Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what happened. That's what Jesus commanded. That's how the book of Acts begins. But in Acts 1 through 9, although the church has grown and although there's been wonderful things that have happened and miracles and all of this, 
Up until Acts chapter 10, nobody had crossed the cultural barriers to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one had gone to the ends of the earth. The church is experiencing some wonderful things, but it's merely a group of Jewish people from an isolated part of the world who are following Jesus, and they were like a dozen other Jewish sects of the day who might spring up. They were very localized, and the question for the church in Acts chapter 10 is simply this, will the gospel go beyond the narrow world of our own people? That's the question that we get to is the, in Acts chapter 10. What will the church do with the gospel? Will it truly go to the ends of the earth? Or are we going to maintain the gospel in our own little closed cultural group? The fundamental question is, is this good news for all people? So let's pick up there now in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1, because that's the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devoted and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly, which means that he was a spiritual man, this Cornelius. He's a seeker. He, he, he wants to believe. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Cornelius is a non-Jew. He's a centurion. He's part of the Roman army. He's an outsider to the Jewish people. He's considered someone outside the people of God. He's unclean Gentile. And though he has good works and a sincere heart, he's cut off from the people of God. Cornelius provides us with an obvious and clear picture of human longing for God, or at least longing for something better, something more. But the problem is deeper than just this desire because Cornelius does not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem runs deep. The truth is that most people where I serve in Granada and probably here in Charlottesville are not a lot like Cornelius just dying to find out about Jesus, right? It's a rare opportunity. He's like, I mean, he's, he's all the way in, except he just needs someone to come tell him about Jesus. He's, he's ready. He's a seeker. He's full. But the truth is, most people aren't like that. Most people who don't know Christ are not that obvious as Cornelius. But I think in Cornelius, we do see this fundamental desire and longing of people want more than they have. They recognize there's something broken in themselves and in this world. About, I mean, two and a half years ago, I was speaking, and a friend of ours came to the church, a Spanish woman I'll call Carmen, and I was sharing from the books of Peter about the living hope we had in Jesus, and she was listening, and um, she said something to me that, even as a missionary, shook me and changed my life. I explained to her after the service she wanted to talk more about the living hope of Jesus Christ, and she, she asked me this question. 
why hasn't anyone ever told me this before? See, that's the question that Cornelius is asking. He's looking. He wants an answer to a question. And my friend Carmen, why hasn't anyone told us this before? Because she recognized it as good news. Now, the truth is, in the country in which I serve, 99% of the people say they do not know Jesus personally. That's a lot of Cornelius's. They don't have somebody, they don't know somebody who knows somebody, who knows somebody that can tell them like Jesus. And they're like my friend Carmen. Whether they're aware of it or not, they're wondering, is there any good news for me? See, the barrier here in this story, and there's lots of barriers to the gospel, but in this story, the only barrier is not the desire of Cornelius' heart. It's the fact that there's no one there to tell him. Sometimes when I tell people I'm a missionary, I get strange looks, even in church. It's like, oh, you couldn't get into a decent university. (laughs) (laughs) So you went into missions, right? Or maybe it's just like, yeah, kind of something else, you know, that he couldn't find his way or whatever. But the truth is, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're always called to be sending people abroad to those who have never heard. Because the truth is, there's Cornelius everywhere. And there are parts of the world where entire cultures are like Cornelius. No friends to tell them, no praying grandmother, no church down the street. And I don't know what you think about when you think of lost people. And I mean, maybe you think of poverty. Maybe you think of something exotic, something strange. But the truth is, people in my context are neither exotic nor poor. Like Cornelius, he's got a good job, he's influential but he had no one to tell them about Christ. We cannot confuse poverty or exoticness with gospel lostness. The world needs better food, it needs more shoes, it needs better water, but the primary need of lost people is that they don't know Jesus Christ. There's a young lady in our ministry, and um, she, um, I'll call her, Carmen. Let's call her Carmen again, because that's the name I use for default, because everybody's named Carmen. And uh, Carmen was a young lady, and she was very antagonistic towards religious things. Uh, she, she immediately said, you know, I don't believe anything, God, I, I'm an atheist, and all this. And the and, um, thing is, she met one of the UVA students who'd come and was giving a year serving with us. And uh, about two months into the relationship, she found out that this young lady was really a Christian, like really loved Jesus. And she said, you're really a believer. You really do believe in this stuff. And this student said, yeah. And she goes, well, if I would have known that, I never would have been your friend. (laughs) She says, but I like you. And so they kept being friends. About three months later, this young lady was browsing through some of our books that we have in our ministry center. Some of them are just normal books. Some are religious books. Some are Bibles. She called the UVA student over and says, hey, don't tell anybody, but I think I want to know about God. To the very heart of the gospel, whether rich or poor, educated or uneducated, there are people like Carmen, people like Cornelius, whether they know it at that moment or not, are dying to hear good news. 
that Jesus saves. I know we live in a world in which tolerance and pluralism has even affected those of us in the church. We have to reignite our vision that the gospel is not just the best available option for people. It is the only option. It is disruptive to people, but it's disruptive like an intervention. They're lost and dying, whether rich or poor, and they need Jesus Christ. People like Cornelius remind us that the world really does need to hear about our Christ, the forgiver of sins, the healer of broken hearts, the redeemer, the resurrected Christ. So the question I have for us, congregation, do we really believe that this message of Jesus is good news for everyone? Now we come to Peter, because the choice is really here in Peter's hands. So we continue reading in chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, that's the guys that Cornelius has sent, and they're approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. By the way, I live in the Mediterranean world, and I can totally picture this, because we all have flat roofs in our buildings, and that's often where the barbecue pit is. So he went up to pray. Come on, seriously? Peter, I want up to pray. Yeah, yeah, I need some time alone, you know. But you know they're cooking up there because it's midday and that's when you cook because you eat about 2 o'clock in the Mediterranean world. And so he goes up to pray and he starts getting hungry. I'm like, of course, there's smoke. There's stuff on the grill. And it says, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I don't know what kind of chef that was, but that's incredible. <laughs> the original foodies. Oh, man. You know, I was like, Whatever. He saw heavens, heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, dude, that was crazy, you know? <laughs> what was that? But while that, he was meditating on that, the men sent by Cornelius just at that moment happened to find out where Simon's house was. They stopped at the gate. And the reason they stopped at the gate, because even they knew that Jewish people wouldn't have Gentiles in their house. They were respecting the Jewish boundary. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? Now, Probably many of you know that the Jews have very strict dietary laws because it was their signal to, to God, it was their signal to the community around them that we are different, we're God's people. We don't eat these things considered dirty or unclean so that we can recognize that we belong to a clean and pure and holy God. And if you were a Jew, you may break all sorts of rules, but these are the ones that you did not break. You kept kosher. No matter how religious or irreligious you were, that's the one thing you did. Even Peter 
He understands, Lord, I've never done this, God. I've never eaten from those animals. I, I'm pure. I'm holy. I, just, I can't do it. My culture tells me it's inappropriate for me to eat from what you're asking me to eat. And God says to him, don't call impure what I have called pure. So Peter has a small choice, as do we all. It seems insignificant, but the small choice is, will Peter get off the roof and go downstairs? This small choice, like not giving a key to your replacement officer, will have tremendous impact. This is the moment when the church decides, will we or will we not keep the gospel to ourselves? It's this small choice. Get up, off your roof, and go downstairs. See, there's a thousand reader reasons Peter has for not going downstairs. We're just about to eat, <laughs> and I'm hungry. I can't cross this ethnic line. I can't make myself ritually impure. Nobody else is with me. No one will believe me if I say God spoke to me. I can't do this. Man, we're really busy back in Jerusalem, and my ministry's flourishing. It's just one guy. He's a centurion at that, the Roman oppressors. I can't do this by myself. This is somebody else's job. There's a thousand reasons for him to stay on the roof. Deep cultural reasons. But Peter makes a small choice. And because of that, you and I sit here today. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. There's a thousand reasons any of us can have not responding to the gospel call in our lives. Now, I'm a missionary. I get that. Not all of you are going to be missionaries, although probably half of you. <laughs> Why not? Okay. I'll be honest. Even people like me who are committed to this cause, so-called so committed to this cause, we have our struggles, and we wonder sometimes if we're the right person. I, when I first got to Spain, I didn't know any Spanish. Uh, and I went to language school when we got there, and about a month and a half into my time there, I decided I would brave the McDonald's drive-thru, um, which doesn't sound like much since I've done that, obviously, many times in my life. <laughs> but I, I decided to go, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And I prepared, you know, I even got note cards ready, you know, because I want to do this right. I pull up to the, to the, the order area, and I say, okay, hola. Yo quiero número uno con patatas normales y un Coca-Cola. Una Coca-Cola, un Coca-Cola. No response. So like any good new language learner, I get louder. Yo quiero. I'm trying, let's maybe roll the R a little bit more or something, you know. Número uno. Finger, just camera, you know. Quarter pounder con queso. I'm working at, you know, patatas normales. Nothing. Well, I'll be honest, at this point, I'm getting a little nervous because, you know, you're, all the worry of, you know, this is building up, and so I'm going one more time. Yo quiero. <laughs> Por favor. Número uno. Patatas normales. If you could get some gestures, maybe that'll help. No response at all. I look out my windshield. McDonald's employee is leaning out 
the drive-thru window, waving me forward because I was not actually ordering at the order point, but at an advertising sign. <laughs> Later, with better Spanish, I realized it says, please pull forward to order, but I didn't know that. I was so humiliated, I drove off. <laughs> and just to be a little bit vulnerable, and I've told the story many times, and it still chokes me up, I uh, pulled off to the side of the road and began to bawl. I was so embarrassed. But it wasn't about the McDonald's. It was about all the pressures of learning a new language, a new culture, and I wondered, if I can't order McDonald's, how in the world am I going to preach the gospel? There's a thousand reasons we have for not participating in the sharing of good news to neighbors, to friends. We're not investing in missionaries we send around. There are a thousand reasons we can think of. Even people in my shoes, we wonder at times, how in the world can you use somebody like me? It's not the, I'm not the right person. I don't have the right skill set. Peter has the thousand reasons to say, I'm going to stay up on the roof. But the reality is, if Peter looked more deeply, he had been in Jesus' university for three and a half years. Peter had experienced the grace of Jesus. He'd received God's enabling spirit to make him a witness to the ends of the earth. In this case, let's be honest, Cornelius is not a tough sell. God has already sent a vision to the man. I mean, Peter, of all, I mean, this bold Peter full of the Holy Ghost on Pentecost, this is the easiest conversion event you'll ever have. <laughs> and we have to understand that God has prepared the hearts of men and women around the world, even in the difficult places. Even in places like Spain, where 99% of the people don't know Jesus personally. And it's the small decisions that you and I make that will change the trajectory of individuals, of cultural groups, of nations. But the choice, though small, is in our hands. Will we get off our roof? In verse 34, Peter has gone back with the men of Cornelius and begins to share. Cornelius has gathered a household. He's like, it's like a church plant out of nothing. You know, it was incredible. And it says, Peter began to speak to this gathered group of people in Cornelius' house. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message, and the circumcised believers, that's the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. In spite of all the things that Jesus had said, in spite of the command to make 
the nation's disciples, they're still amazed, for they heard the speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This is the moment that the church of Jesus Christ goes from being a small Jewish community to the ends of the earth. And it was a small choice to get off the roof and go downstairs. One family. And it changes everything. The choice is in our hands. Will we make sure that the gospel gets to all people? Because surely God shows no favoritism. We're not the only people who need Jesus. There are people in my country, the majority of people who do not know Jesus. They're not poor. They're not that different than you and I in many ways. And yet, they're like Cornelius asking, why hasn't anyone ever told me this before? In chapter 11, Peter reports to the church, the Christians back at headquarters, and he says this, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? The choice here is not in Cornelius' lap. Ultimately, it's in the hands of Peter. And Peter recognizes if we don't make the small decisions to take the gospel of the whole, where we're standing in the way of God. Are we gospel-engaged people? Are we committed to the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard? Just two months ago, when I was already back in the States, a young man, I'll call Rio, he, uh, we were having church service, and our staff reported this to me, who's there, and um, it was incredible. He, this young man, he, he, his dad is a, an abusive atheist. His mom is, is emotionally fragile. I mean, she's sweet, but a very emotionally fragile, and this young man we met when we moved to Spain, he was the same age as our son met him in fifth grade, and he was depressed, he was broken, and I, I honestly believe he was suicidal, and he was really struggling. Just two months ago, now about seven years after we met him, in the middle of our service, we have a greet time, and he said, I want to say something, which is shocking, because this kid is kind of shy and backward in many ways. He says, I want to tell people that the Galleon family and my friend Luke, that's my son, this church, this university ministry has changed my life because they told me about Jesus. And this depressed kid, who I thought was suicidal, now spends a lot of time in our ministry center inviting other university students, he says, because this is the place where you can find life. He says, I just want to say thank you because by being my friend, but playing football with me, you've changed my life. Just so happens this young man named Rio is the son of the woman who asked, why hasn't anyone ever told us this before? Both now who are in our new church plant, who are following Jesus. Small decisions to befriend Small decisions like this church to support a missionary who can go to a town that needs a church. Change the trajectory of people like Carmen and Rio 
change the trajectory of a culture, change the trajectory of a planet. Can I have the worship team come up? Every mission service ends the same way, and rightly so. There are really only two kinds of Christians, those who send and those who are sent. Only two kinds of Christians, those who send and those who are sent. In our hands today, church, we have small choices to make. We have small choices to make, but the stakes are so high, and no one else can make those choices but you and me. This little choice you have to pray, to support missions financially, this decision may be to change careers and move to a place that has little access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These little choices we have change the trajectory of a planet, change the trajectory of a culture. It may seem not little, like I've never really given to missionaries or missions. I don't know, I don't have a lot of money, but your small choice will change the trajectory of more Rios. The question is, are we going to get off our roof? Just go downstairs. It doesn't take that much to give a little bit more generously, to pray more sacrificially, just get extra minutes of intercession for missionaries and lost people around the world, to give up the extra vacation and maybe spend that money a little bit differently, to send missionaries to the places that don't have the church of Jesus Christ. And for some people in here, and I used to talk to young people, but about going, but the truth is one of the largest growing workers in the mission field are second career people. So I'm not just talking to young people here, I'm talking to many, everyone here that maybe God is calling you to make a small choice, a direction change in your life for the sake of the lost people around the world. Who will go? There are 99% of my country doesn't know Jesus, we need you. need you in Italy, we need you in France, we need you in the Middle East. Someone dare to make a small choice today just, just to pray about it and see what God can do. Would you stand with me and Gabe, would you, I think Gabe's around, I'm going I'm to pray for us and then turn it over to Gabe. The world needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And the opportunity is now in our hands to make a choice to change the world through giving, praying, and going. So can you offer up your hearts today and allow the Lord to speak? Heavenly Father, we love you and we realize we have so much. We've been given so much. We live and move and have our being because of grace and the Spirit of God in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not be um, 
come up with a thousand reasons why we cannot participate, why we shouldn't do it, why it's somebody else's responsibility. But God, awaken our hearts. Give us the vision that Peter had, that God shows no favoritism, that the Gentiles, the least reached, the ends of the earth, need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to get off the roof, to go downstairs and commit to gospel proclamation to the ends of the earth. I pray you speak specifically to people here to be deeper intercessors, to be more generous givers. And I pray some here would be released to go to the ends of the earth for the sake of the lost and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Would you uh, offer some appreciation for Sean this morning? But I don't, I don't want this moment to get lost on us. I think God is really stirring up something in people's hearts today. I know he is. And I want to invite you to join us as we um, offer up some worship and uh, allow the time in worship to use that time to reflect on, on the word that was uh, preached this morning. And um, in a few moments, I'll be back out to, to say a blessing to dismiss us, okay?
The Apostle Paul, speaking of the gospel in Romans chapter 10, writes, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He is mighty to save. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone will be saved. And then this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. God has challenged us this morning, has inspired us perhaps, is calling us to go. I want to invite you, if you feel a stirring in your heart, or for because of the message that was preached, or for any other reason that you need someone to pray with you, we have a prayer team that will meet you down here and pray with you and help you discern God's voice. And um, and just pray, pray with you. One more time, let's pray. God, we're thankful. We believe, most of us in this room, not just believe it, but we've experienced the fact that you are mighty to save. Some of us has, have stories that are surprising, impressive, and somewhat shocking that you, our God, would be able to pull us up out of the miry clay and save us. And for that, we're so thankful. And in so doing, in so saving us, in so bringing us into relationship with you, you have already called us to go and make disciples of all nations. By the very fact that we have been called and we've accepted that call, we are ourselves commissioned to go and make Jesus known to this world in which we live. Thankful for Sean, for the work that you're doing through him and his team in Granada. We pray your special blessing upon him, his ministry. Oh God, the God for whom nothing is too difficult and the God whose resources are inexhaustible, would you continue to provide for every need that this ministry has so that more Carmens and Rios can be reached and touched by the gospel of Christ. We thank you, O oh Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
feel free to linger. There's worship, there's prayer. And if you must uh, go, please uh, go and be blessed. Yes, sir. 
Father God, you are worthy. And we love you, Lord. 